On this episode of AV Week, Microsoft sets up a defense fund for those people using Copilot. Dante sells one million units and the future of AV over IP. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure, because every voice matters. This is AV Week, episode 631, recorded Friday, September 22nd, 2023. I know nothing. This is AV Week, the weekly wrap-up of the biggest news in the AV industry. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have got this week. First and foremost, Bren Walker from Kierkegaard. Welcome, ma'am. Hi, Tim. It's great to be here from home, which is uh, Winnenatch, the historical lands of the Sayout Nation in British Columbia. Uh, very close to uh, to uh, Vancouver, where our friends at PSNI will be at uh, about two weeks. About a, about a week from, from when we're uh, posting this. Also with us is a young man uh, that we got to see walking around Infocom this year, uh, Lyle Waldron. Lyle is from the University of Trinidad and Tobago. Welcome, sir. Hey, thank you, Tim. I'll take the flattery. I'll take young while I have it. Yes, my name is Lyle Waldron. I'm the multimedia and audiovisual manager of the University of Trinidad and Tobago. Last pair of islands in the Caribbean. Just look on our map, people. You'll find it. You, you will find it. Gorgeous, gorgeous area. Uh, and last but not least, Renee Benson. Renee uh, has a brand new job. She is now with Sony and our friend uh, Mr. Rich Ventura. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you very much. Just across the state from you, Tim. Happy to be here. Yes, ma'am. We'll mention a, a rivalry that Renee and I have going on at the end if you'd like to stick around for that. <clears throat> Go Bears. All right. Uh, first story comes to us from Front of House Magazine. Audinate, uh, the company behind the Dante Audio over IP networking protocol, has announced that it shipped, quote, unquote, one million, I have to put my pinky up to my mouth, one million Dante units in fiscal year 2023. This is a significant milestone for the company. It re reflects the growing popularity of Dante in the professional audio industry. Dante, of course, is a digital audio networking protocol that allows multiple audio channels to be sent over a single Ethernet cable. Audinate faced a number of challenges during the pandemic, including chip supplies, and, and we have talked that discussion to death, um, but uh, they, they were able to overcome some of these. Um, one interesting about, about this number, though, is that almost half of the units, quote unquote, that they're saying that they shipped was software. So when you say it's a million, don't think they, they, they said they shipped out a million chips or, or you know, there's a million units out there. That million, about 45% of that, 45.7, I think, is software licenses. So I'm not downplaying, I'm not saying that Nante's evil, I'm just saying when you hear that million, 500,000 of that is, is units. The other, the other half million is, uh, is software. Bren, we're going to start with you on this. When you're looking at Bren uh, and Kierkegaard, they design you know, really fantastic uh, theater spaces, really fantastic performance spaces. You look at Dante. How ubiquitous is it at this point? In North America, it's ubiquitous, right? Um, the thing that I, would, that I thought about that million number, one, the, the software being a, a factor in it, of course, um, it's, you know, that's obviously an Audinate press release, right? Like oh. they, they got to the million, they figured out how they got to the million. I'd also love to know how, what percentage of that number in terms of the, 
the uh, hardware um, were back orders from 21 or 22, <laughs> right? So let's see what the number is next year. Um, yeah. <clears throat> you've, you've got a lot of legacy Dante networks out there in North America, and the, it's going to be that way for a while, whether Dante is preferred or not. Um, I've met people who, who preferred AV, prefer AVB. There's arguments for AVB in terms of open source. Um, that may one day sort of flip the tide of things. But, you know, AV, I've, I've gone to, to projects where someone's doing a, an AV system upgrade. That system is clearly 15, 18 years old. People will wring the most they can get out of an AV system as long as they possibly can. And as, as long as that is the mindset and until there's some other change that comes along, like perhaps something related to uh, energy consumption that forces people to wholesale change their systems, Dante is going to have a foot. Um, myself, coming from software world, I like, I like open source better. Really quickly, you made, a, you made a qualifier there. You said in North America, what, what's, what's popular outside of North America? The engineers that I've talked to in Europe far and away prefer AVB. Okay, interesting. All right. At least in the, in the concert hall and the, you know, that part of the performing arts world. Okay. Uh, Renee, same kind of question is, is where are you seeing, you know, Dante being used? Um, not, not for nothing, but Sony, obviously large uh, display manufacturer, everything up to, I believe you guys have an 8K. Um, you know, where are you seeing Dante being deployed? Well, I have to be careful, right? Because some of that is on, on not on the professional display division. So I don't certainly a lot in that wheelhouse, but I just feel like I'm hearing it all over. I'm hearing nothing but good things about Dante. I, I like I said, like Brent, I'm not in that wheelhouse every day, but um, people ask, is, is that compatible with Dante? Can I run Dante? And so it just seems like it's the 1 million is a big number. I granted it's not all hardware and I'm like, Brent, how much of that was back order, but I think the demand is there for Dante. I mean, it's all over the place. You walk around Infocom, you walk around shows, their little symbol is on almost every booth somewhere, right? At some sort. So uh, definitely hearing a lot of buzz about that word and have for a long time, but um, this is definitely a press release that gives them some, oh, wow, let's go look at this, right? Um, yeah, I mean, and I think they deserve the kudos, right? They deserve some of those kudos. Yeah. Well, and they needed to do it, honestly, because the shortage that happened during COVID wasn't necessarily a good look for anybody, right? The fact that no one could get a console because consoles all needed Dante cards. I mean, it was, they needed to do, they, at some point, this they needed to make a statement like this. Well, and with, with some of the other manufacturers having the issues still, probably was good timing to release, you know, ish, right? So... I mean, if I could get in here with a, a parallel perspective, Bren. So I agree with you 100%. Um, I'm Dante biased. Uh, by the time I got into managing systems in higher ed, um, I had a choice to make, you know, Dante, AVB, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, AES 67 was not a thing at the time. Um, so Dante was the closest I could get to uh, for a system that would allow me to use the existing network infrastructure that I had, the existing IP infrastructure, and get going. Um, I'm unsurprised that clientele in Europe and the UK may lean to AVB. Uh, that means it's legacy systems they baked into. There is copper on it, you know, but those systems weren't like designed maybe yesterday. 
And they're still the designers for tomorrow. So they're not going to change from something that's proven. But I think really why that press release needs to come out and come out now is not really so much because of the audio side, but it's because of what I think is going on in the broader AV over IP world, where hate it or love it, um, new tech has made a big splash with NDI for, for all the criticism yeah. it, it's gotten. And SVDOE, they have made a huge push, not even so much to counter ordinate, but to counter new tech. So what is happening is the conversation, because without being even a hint sounding disparaging towards ordinate, AV over IP was a bigger holy grail than just audio over IP. Yes. So they were really very much so first to market. They beat AES 67. So they got the Tesla sponsorship. They were the first electric car in town. And whether it was good, it was okay, it was cool, you know, people ran with it because it allowed more from them. So now they're in a bind because SVDO is talking about NDI and NDI is talking about NDI and nobody's talking about Ordinate. And then their strategy has been kind of confusing. Because they didn't take Dante, and I don't think they can, Tim, from an engineering perspective because of the chipsets. But they did not take Dante and say, okay, your existing Dante network, you now can use this Sony camera with it. Because there is now Dante AV, there's another flavor, and then there's old school Dante. So they're, they're not, sh- to me, to me, to me, they're not sure. So they needed to say something so that we can have a convo today with Tim. That's, that's my, that's their, my story. their backwards compatibility probably does is not very very well thought out. There's a couple mm-hmm. of companies in, in, in the industry. Uh, we did a story a couple a couple weeks ago on this program about just add power. Yeah. Um, and you, whether you love them or hate them on, on the technology side, I think their sustainability model is fantastic mm-hmm. because everything that they do, they'll update upgrade uh, update the firmware mm-hmm. and it'll work. I don't care if the sucker's 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it's backward compatible. That, that's, if I could just say, yeah. he hit the point that I was thinking about too relative to Dante. Dante is synonymous with audio. I don't, I don't know anybody using Dante for video um, who can say that they have a happy installation, right? So, no happy so they, they have a hill to climb on that front for sure. And they have no particular advantage when it comes to video either. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. Like I said, yeah, they, w- they weren't first to market in that at all. In many ways, they've come after. So first to market matters in this case. But I think the bigger issue for me, and it's sometimes I have a Caribbean saying you don't need to climb the tree to pick fruit. Sometimes the fruit's right in front of you. The name of the company is Ordinate. It's going to be very difficult unless they have a strategic repositioning of the company name to try to convince Tim and Bren and Renee and Lyle that come to ordinate for video. video. It it starts at the beginning brick. So they have have multiple layers of, they got into market first. They were like Skype. You know, you got to market first. Everybody in the world loves you. You're the hottest thing since sliced bread. And then at some point, even your own company doesn't care and came out with teams and like, yeah, Skype, Schmipe, you know, and moved on. Mm -hmm. So they, they need relevance to be fair. And I, I'm I'm a lover. I'm certified in the whole nine. But no, you're you're fine. Actually, the the uh, Lyle sent us a really great report um, from the folks over at RH Consulting. They did some. Uh, they studied some industry ben- uh, benchmarks. This is technically our second story uh, for networking AV products. In the report, Dante is far and away the industry leader overall over all of the audio products. Right, um, AS67 uh, Ravina uh, and AV, AVB slash Milan uh, makes up the rest in the audio. Mixers, loudspeakers, software, and microphones, AES67 
beats Dante in the number of units, mm. which I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in almost every other unit, though, Dante is the industry leader. Renee, we're going to talk, start with you on this. We, we've been talking about the, the audio part, and that's what this report starts with, but it also looks at, at, at control and some other stuff. Um, talk about, for a second, you know, SDVOE, nobody's said HDVST yet, but that is certainly a player in this. And you have all of the, I'm going to call them proprietary manufacturers, even though all of them use, by and large, somebody else's technology, whether that's JPEG 2000 or something else, to roll their own and then put their own little special container on it. Um, NDI certainly is in there. It's generically open source, you know, AVB is absolutely open open source. When we look at this, you know, it, it, how crowded is this market? And and is there? I, I hesitate to say this, but is there room someplace for somebody to come in over the next year or two years to say, hey, we have another, you know, flavor that you might like? Well, obviously, based on the charts that you sent in that article, Dante, that's the kind of chart that every company wants to see, right? I'm here, and everybody else is Hockey here. Star. Obviously, will that be different the next time they run that report? I think absolutely. I think that, you know, being on the display side in a very crowded world, I think that we're seeing that across all facets of our industry, right? That next year there'll be um, competing products. I, I don't can't speak to who that would be, but this is going to be not that they're going to be a one and done on this kind of reporting, but I think that there is definitely going to be some other people that come into this market that see these kind of articles and go, wait a minute. What are we missing out on? What should we do? And um, I, I think that'd be a different report probably in the next year. Lyle, one of the things that is, as I'm talking to integrators, you know, mm. primarily in, in North America, a lot of these networks are self-contained, right? Mm-hmm. They are private networks. They are mm-hmm. not going to anybody. And I love the fact that all three of you are shaking your heads right yeah. now because mm-hmm. yeah. um, that, that, that speaks to it. When you see this, what do you see, where do you see AV over IP generically evolving over the next year or two well i i everything i do is predicated on north america yes i'm in the caribbean yes i'm on an island but you know i have to study everything you and your peers study the way i see this though because of my geography and where i come from sometimes i think manufacturers are trying to do too many things in one shot so we've had this ongoing debate for years now about 10g switching and 10 10g networks and uncompressed video versus, oh, well, it's, you know, it's compressed. And, you what know, quotes on that sucker. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. And then somebody's going to complain that, well, you know, whatever, um, you know, flavor of Tron you want, they're not really uncompressed. And like we have that conversation. But here's what I think the reality is. Outside of, I, I want to posit, this is the opinions of me and me alone. Outside of like broadcast uh, situations, television, maybe even film, video, let's say events on like a really, really high end, those are the clientele that should be looking at 4K, 8K, and by extension, 4K, 8K, and maybe uncompressed transmission. So they're a very small niche of our market, but I would like to believe 80% of the world really, really, really needs to get HD all the way up to 4K across that network. Can you do it low latency with the least amount of artifacts? Right, I don't think it's going to be a big problem. If I have like some mogul's mansion that I have to do his THX theater, then by all means, we could tap into that broadcast stuff, you know, push 16K video to him. Okay, who cares? Right, he doesn't mind if he has the thickest cable in the world running through his ceiling. But I think that division, that well, that conflation of all things into one thing, where everybody's trying to force things across for now, what is the ubiquitous one gig pipe, is really where the problem is with all of this. And once we get that delineation, I think it'll make more sense 
Because then we could speak about this from two very clearly objective and different market schemes. All right, Brian. Lyle makes a very good point there that I'm, I'm going to pick on you for, but you can, you can extrapolate from there. How big of a deal is that one gig versus 10 gig conversation? Because you know, Lyle mentions the mogul. He's right. If you're putting in a $10 million home and their theater, they don't care. Brent's putting in performance spaces, right? And in my head, there, there is a budget, right? But if you've got enough donors, maybe they don't care the difference between a one, the cost of a one gig switch versus a 10 gig switch in, in those situations. Oh, they care. Okay. <laughs> and, and the other thing too is, you know, I have to look to see what the number is, but how much video is looked at on a mobile phone screen versus a, a display that's bigger? And if you're looking at a display that's bigger, how close is the user really mm -hmm. to that display to even distinguish between 1080p and 4K? 100%. So, so what I'm seeing from what we've seen from our clients is they're not even doing 4K because the ultimate, the ultimate screen that most of their users or their, their, their patrons are going to see is a mobile phone. Yeah. So yeah. they're opting to say, eh, Maybe five years from now, we'll go up to 4K. So I think unless you're talking about broadcast and cinema, mm -hmm. 1080p works just fine for most, yeah. most applications, right? So you can get away with the one gig in a lot of facilities. <laughs> can I get away with it in my 1,200-seat multipurpose auditorium? No, because there's just too much going on there. But the 300-seat PT at the university, one gig is going to be fine. I think to future-proofing that facility is also important. And, you know, there, there are layers to it, but I think you've hit the nail on the head for me, like just nail on the head, right? It, it's not a scenario where, I mean, I thought, I, I did not want to say it, what you just said, Brent, but yeah, I have a five-year minimum for 4K. And it's also because if you think about the distribution from start to finish, unless I'm really getting a 4K camera into a 4K switcher distributed through 4K, all the way to that end, it's, it's, it's not 4K. So then why are we having this discourse? Like, Tim, why? Why, why are we right. doing this to ourselves? I was going to say, I went into a facility where the uh, higher education facility, uh, top 20 university in the country, and someone had replaced all their cameras with 4Ks, but the 4K signal died at the camera. Yeah. Like, yeah. nothing else was changed. I'm like... Mm -hmm. So you have a 4K camera, but you realize you're not actually capturing 4K yeah. anywhere, you know? So yeah, I remember being at an NAB probably 10 years ago when 4K was like a new thing, and it was like, wow, this is going to be so cool. But here we are, all these years mm -hmm. later, going, okay, but is there even the content for that? Is there even really the need? And we're already talking eight and all the other Ks, right? And it's 16. like, well, yeah, yeah. And can your viewer discern the difference? Exactly. Because if they can't then you re literally are spending for, you know, whatever you want for your future. And then you really need to look out and say, when will my viewer be able to know the difference? Lyle, you said something there a second ago. I want to, I want to get clarification. Mm -hmm. You said future proofing, but then you, you almost immediately said you, you have a five-year minimum for 4K. When you say future proofing, mm -hmm. what does that mean to you? Like how many years down the road does that mean to you? Tim, 
here, here's a secret for your audience. Future proofing means nothing. In the morning, in the <laughs> morning. You said it. No, no, I mean, for sure, because it's part of what my, my daily have to plan and think about is, right? It's the guest. Correct. It's a yeah. daily thought experiment. So I'll give you a, as an example, as I said, I kind of grandfathered myself into AV over IP from day one. I've, I mean, I can program really, but I've never done it because as cost savings, I used IP for everything. Control that project with IP, you know, I just, I, I, we came into that maturity in Trinidad for integration then. So I was lucky, right? The thing about future-proofing, though, is tomorrow could be VR headsets from Apple that is selling for a dollar, and the entire thing is going to flip upside down. Somebody's going to figure out a Wi-Fi that does 100 gig that, you know, is going to be Wi-Fi 8. What is that going to do then as a transport medium for us? Because a lot of the times we're piggybacking on other things. So when I say future-proofing, at least for me, it's a constant thought experiment and a reminder that everything I know, I know nothing at all. <laughs> but at the end of the day, what I think future-proofing really is, it comes in two ways. One, copper wherever you can. And two, fiber wherever you can. But for a lot of us, I would say again, 18, 90% of us, I can't dream of running fiber in a room from the lectern to the camera at the back of the room, let's just say, right? Just as, as two things. I yeah. can't afford to pay Cornwell, <laughs> you know, for, for that. I just can't. It's not going to happen. So what is future-proofing? It's a myth. It's a convo. Ooh. Well, and I'll say for us, you know, in my world of designing new buildings, right, all of our conversations right now are about, well, when can wireless take over some of this? Do we really have to put in all this conduit? Can we Never. put in less conduit? Can we push more signals down the same conduit? Like, Never. You know, and, that, and those are decisions that it's very expensive to go back in mm -hmm. and put in more conduit after a building mm -hmm. is over. Man. Agreed. So the most that we can do is make sure that there's conduit there to run a cable. And, and with the idea of it being copper, where it, copper as much as we can and fiber to connect throughout, you know, a, a, a building th throughout a building system. Ten second thought, Tim. If we look at our, our current crop of futurists, well, at least it used to be in our time, it was Star Trek. Do you not think the enterprise has conduit everywhere and running fiber optic cables everywhere? There's no wireless really, except for comms, on the enterprise. What wireless are we doing in our, in our stages and buildings? It's not real. So th this, not is real. A bit, this is a bit tongue-in-cheek, but uh, Renee and I were, were at Cedia a couple weeks ago. Right. There was legitimately a 4K wireless transmitter receiver. It was just two boxes. I did not see it working. I am curious. All I'll say about that. No, I'm sure it's going to be there. I'm sure they're going to get it to work in the perfect, pristine environment. Yeah. But yeah. if we take it to the, and I don't want to say the real world because it sounds disparaging, but if I take it to, you know, block A where there are 16 million Wi-Fi networks and whatnot, it's not going to work. Never forget, 5G was, that was a promise Verizon made with 5G millimeter wave and the rest. Millimeter wave was supposed to do away with Wi-Fi. We wouldn't need it anymore. We're still How, waiting. How's that been exactly? How's that been going? So yeah, uh, really quickly before I get a, a nasty email from Justin Kennington, uh, I mentioned the fact that that you know ten gig switches are more expensive. Mm -hmm. Justin, they still are, mm -hmm. but he would say that the prices are going down every year. They are. He is right. Yeah. He is right. Sure, he is right. Uh, he Justin is, right. is is of course the, the head of the SDVOE Alliance. Um, He's right. Final st uh, story comes to us from our friends over at UC Today. Uh, in a recent announcement, Microsoft promised 
quote unquote, copyright protection to its co-pilot customers. This means that Microsoft will defend customers against copyright lawsuits and pay for any damages. That is a significant, uh, this is a significant commitment from Microsoft and it shows the company is serious about supporting its customers who use Copilot. Uh, Copilot copyright commitment is, 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 you know, one of those things where they are offering to pay for the defend, uh, the defense lawyers if you're, you know, get sued for, for using, uh, Copilot. Now, one of the things here is this, this comes amidst a, a litany of lawsuits against specifically OpenAI and other yes. large language models uh, from content creators, uh, a lot of authors, some comedians and stuff like that. So it's an interesting development. While I'm going to start with you on this, uh, we'll, we'll start with educators first, right? You, you've got folks that are using um, large language models generically, but certainly Microsoft is a huge presence on on education and higher, edu higher education campuses. What does this do for the educators that are, that are leveraging these tools? We don't have enough time to discuss this. What it means in theory is we could do far more with far less. So if I take my unit, for instance, the majority of my memos and letters, I've long shifted to ChatGPT. I just, I don't bother to ask the staff anymore. I have more important things to get them to do. So it's a real thing. I'll say this on the Microsoft uh, idea of protection specifically. I remember when Microsoft was the evil one and the slow one and the ones that didn't make sense. Now they're taking these added precautions and they're the good guys. It's, it's really amazing what 10 years could do. But they're right. However, if we go to the genesis of why we're here, people were misusing OpenAI and that's how we got to it. So they weren't even giving credit to the fact that they used AI, right? Because it's still taboo. Um, in education, if you all don't know, education is not a place for revolutionary change. Change in education comes at a glacial pace, right? So in education, the current mainstream conversation about any AI, forget trying to integrate it, Tim, into actual work processes, is, oh, no, we don't want any of that. The students are cheating. Everybody's using AI. But the dirty secret, I think, in all forms of education, before we had ChatGPT, there were internet farms you could send a request to. You could go on Fiverr. Somebody's going to write that thesis for you. Before that, on every campus, there were the little pull tabs on a little message board somewhere. Need help with a paper? Just pull the little tab and you pay somebody. It's going to get done. Put your hand down to him. So yeah. this is not a new phenomenon. It's faster, cheaper, and more democratized. But this fear of AI makes no sense. And what we're going to see with Microsoft and the corporate side of this is you're going to have pushback on unions. You're going to hear staff talking about them losing jobs and so forth and so on. And it's fundamentally true, but where are the frameworks and the guardrails going to come from? I think Microsoft has taken a first good step to say at least to the clients, look, take it, use it, figure it out. We got your back. I think the bottom line is that's a, that's a net positive. That's how I got through college. I'm just going to point that. That's how I made money through college, how I paid for college. I want to point that out there. You're on the other Not, end. I, the statute of limits um, has expired. Thank God. Baby, have they? Um, <laughs> Bren, um, that was an old joke, kids. Uh, look at this from uh, programmers and, and, and what you do, honestly, you know, in designers and stuff like that. How, how does this you know, help and hurt uh, that process? Okay, so I think it helps everybody. I still think that I think the net on AI is still a net positive, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, Microsoft's offer to defend everybody, I think they're offering it because it will become irrelevant. Because Agreed. we will get to the point where, I mean, how much do you hear people complaining about their takedowns on YouTube, right? Yeah. 
It's like it's the a system gets worked out and people then proceed with it. But none of these will none of the AI systems will work in the long term without people freely giving it the data. Right. So Microsoft needs that data to freely flow. And when we really look at it, how much of what is created in this world is actually unique copyright? Uh, there we Not go. Very much. The, you know, in the music industry, this conversation started 20 years ago about copyright regimes and, and the fact that there is no single global copyright standard. Mm -hmm. Eventually, as a world, we're going to have to get to the place where we have uniform copyright standards across the world. Will something like a Creative Commons, I mean, Creative Commons is now to 2.5 billion works, yeah. right? To me, once you put something in the commons, you're sort of accepting that you want it to be freely used by others. Mm -hmm. The whole notion of invention is about things being to, being freely used by others to advance where we are as a as a rate as a as a species, right? <clears throat> so I see AI loosening that up. I look at AI to have it replace the things that I don't need to have my staff do, just like Lyle was saying, memos, things that and this is this is we've seen we've known that this was coming and there have been certain educators talking about the different kinds of intelligences that you need in the 21st century. The intelligences around logic and things that you can teach a script or a software to do are will become less valuable for us as human beings and our intelligence around emotions around compassion. These are the things that people are going to pay for because guess what? Chat G, that chat GPT cannot reasonably exp express sympathy yeah. in a way that another person can understand or make a decision based on compassion when logic tells you to do something different. So there's this some random why, philosophical thoughts. This is why I love talking to Brent. <laughs> so am I the only one who read the article and went, okay, so chat GPT is so quick, right? Like if you ask mm -hmm. it, I mean, it's two seconds and it's answering you right. So how, how is the platform going to check all these entries for the copyright so quickly and answer, is there... A, a lag in getting your answer back. I want to know a little bit more about how it's going to work. And I agree. I think eventually it's not going to be needed, but the fact that they're throwing it out there as an option, I think is a big deal. I just, so people feel safe. People they're doing it. So people feel safe. And so they'll give Doc. up their content, right? Doc. They want you Doc. to give it all up. They want you to put everything in Yeah. because if you put everything in, then the vehicle gets stronger. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, without going too deep into AI philosophy here, we're, we're just talking about large language models currently. We're not okay. getting into when AI starts to hopefully decipher. It'll still not have that empathy that you spoke of. Um, I'm looking forward to the day that I can give ChatGPT maybe 5.5, uh, a list of equipment, a bill of materials, and say, design me the most efficient system. Mm. We've seen efforts to, there's actually a car, you should see it, a hypercar that AI designed, it's amazing. We've seen AI come a very long way. And the reality is twofold. One, the question you asked, Renee, is nobody actually knows. The, the open AI themselves don't know how ChatGPT does what it does. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was WSG had a fantastic podcast recently on, on AI um, that you should really listen to. But they don't know how it works. So the answer to your question is, does it check to see if it's... It, we don't know. Maybe it does. And then maybe it thinks it's original. Or maybe it's redefined originality in its own, for lack of better words, mind. Because it, it, to be fair, copyright as a capitalist concept, it's difficult. Yeah, that's true. There is no, I mean, Ed Sheeran just went through this with his lawsuit. You know, he sits, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was with Howard Stern the other day with his guitar. And Howard Stern asked him, he's like, well, I heard you were in front of the jury with your guitar and you had to explain this to them. He's like, yeah. He's like, there's one chord that's been in use since like the 1920s. And if we say that one chord is copyrighted to that one artist, well, that's the end of pop music. So maybe to AI... It's not a copyright issue. It's just creation. Microsoft has got their job ahead of them for that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All righty, y'all. Thank you so much. Uh, Bren Walker, always good to see you, ma'am. Uh, you how do people connect with you or Kierkegaard? You can get, get me at Bren at Kierkegaard.com. Uh, sometimes on LinkedIn, Brenda J. Walker. But honestly, I, I'm not into helping social media platforms generate eyeballs, so I generally don't post there a lot. If you're not paying me to create content, you're probably not going to see me post there. So, oh yeah, alrighty, uh, Lyle, good to see you, sir. Uh, Lyle, Hi, uh, Lyle uh, Waldron from uh, University of Trinidad and Tobago. Where can people connect with you? Uh, apparently, Joey has forced my hand, so I am contributing content freely to LinkedIn. Not really, um, but they can at least get me there. Um, I check my LinkedIn now. I'm, I'm that old. I just check it. So, yeah, LinkedIn, I would say, is your first port of call. All right. And you can also, speaking of Joey, uh, since we mentioned him, and, and it, it, I don't know, I think I'm contractually obligated this time to mention him. Um, you can check out Lyle also on Joe's uh, oh, podcast yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, Renee Benson, how, how do people connect with you or, uh, or Sony? Yeah, uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn as well, Renee Benson, uh, or you can catch Sony at uh, prosony.com or on the Twitters, you can follow me at AVRenee and I'm saving that for me. <laughs> oh boy, shots fired. Oh, Chiefs. <laughs> so don't oh don't follow don't follow me on X or or LinkedIn, because by the time this post, I will be uh, nursing um, <laughs> my own tears because I'm going to go watch my Chicago Bears um, technically play against the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Um, you will be present on the field. Have you ever be... seen a bear been mauled? Tune in this <laughs> weekend. Have you ever seen a bear mauled by a chief? I will see that Sunday. Lyle. <laughs> Have you ever seen yes, a bear lay down and cry? You'll oh, see yeah, it this you will. Sunday. You'll see some of that this Sunday too. Um, I'm sorry, Tim. Oh, you know. Poor Tim. Poor Tim. Oh, and three is not that bad, right? They can come back from that. Um, but no, in all seriousness, uh, go by the website if you would please, avianation.tv. Avianation.tv, you will find this program and a host of others. Uh, Magic Mitchell has been working his fingers to the bone. Uh, brand new XR stars coming out. Uh, also, we've got State of Control, Women in AV, uh, and uh, EdTech uh, ed as well. I am um, slowly hitting the road back. I am going to pivot for profit in, uh, well, by the time this post, a week. So I'll be down in Dallas with our friends at NSCA. Uh, and then I will be heading out to LDI slash um, uh, Digital Signage Expo first week of December. So all that and more at avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.